I want to be strong, to have the flexibility and confidence to play soccer with my kids or volleyball on the beach. I want to feel energetic and spontaneous with my husband. I want my body to feel the freedom to move and enjoy life, to hike Yosemite, surf in Hawaii, bike to the beach, to have fun with friends and not be limited. I want to do things that love my body, to feel and experience all the sensations of life. I want my body to be a force in nature that overcomes difficulty and resistance. I believe in health and wellness and daily consistent exercise. To live a lifestyle of health, strength, and balance, it requires good community and strong relationships. You're not going to get very far in your training plan if your relationships are out of balance and struggling. Tune in to today's episode for some helpful tips and ideas to strengthen your marriage. Whether you're newly married, have been married for a long time, or finding love again, this podcast will offer some practical steps to finding strength and balance with the person you care most about, your spouse. Doug and Joyce Walksmith have been married for 50 years. They live in Portland, Oregon. They have three kids and eight grandkids. They've been mentoring couples for the last 30 years, host marriage workshops. Their passion in life is to help couples know how to handle conflict. And and the reason for this is because their first 20 years of marriage was a struggle. And they have uh, found tools and resources, and they are here today to share some of these things that they've learned and how to handle big conflict issues. Welcome, Doug and Joyce. Thank you. Thank you, Beth. Yeah, it's great to have you in the studio today. I'd like to hear how you first met. I'll go first because Mm -hmm. it was from a $5 bet. We were in college together freshman at a university and I needed to go have a date and I had never asked a guy out on a date and so anyway a five dollar bet and she's she asked me who is the guy that I admire the most in my freshman classes and I said there's this guy he always pulls out the chair and he's always there uh, to greet me or whatever so I asked him out and we went on our first date so when did you first Uh, have conflict in your relationship? I think throughout our dating, we had conflict because my style is to win and your style is to give in. I'm not so sure. (laughs) So was there conflict? (laughs) Well, there's going to be conflict right now because uh, I don't think we had that many problems because we didn't talk about major issues when we were dating. We just... um, Really enjoyed each other's company and, and had a wonderful time dating and uh, kind of went into the whole thing kind of naive. Yeah. We well, that doesn't sound like a lot of conflict because no. you won and you just yes. let her win. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's very easy. Okay. So, and also, really, what really uh, put me on a path that was not healthy was right before we were going to get married, his grandmother said to me, now you're not going to fight in your marriage. I thought we've been fighting, but of course I've been winning. So (laughs) did I want to tell anybody that we had problems? Mm. So we went into the marriage thinking no one that has a a good marriage has problems. That was my big mistake. Wow. That's something to have been said to you. Yeah. 
that yeah. to not fight, basically. Right. Wow. Okay. So as you were getting to know each other mm-hmm. and getting to know um, your families, mm-hmm. how was conflict demonstrated to you as a child or growing up? What was what did you see your parents? How did they handle conflict? Um, I came from my alcoholic father's home, and uh, my mother was fairly uh, passive. However, uh, because my dad kind of gave up the throne, she had to step in and make decisions and make sure the family uh, was in order. But as far as fighting was concerned, it was all done behind closed doors. Hmm. We saw conflict because of the emotionalness of their relationship. But it wasn't out in the open. So it was more hidden. Okay. Joyce, and how about for you? me, my dad worked hard. He worked day and night. And so my mom ruled the house. You know, she was the one that made decisions. And so it was very easy for me to to go into our marriage thinking, I will make the decisions. And of course, as you heard from Doug, he avoided and he used himself as a martyr. In other words, I'm going to give in for the sake of the marriage or for the sake of this relationship. Well, it was easy for both of us because both yeah. of our mothers tend to rule the home. Mm-hmm. And therefore, it was easy for me just to kind of acquiesce and, and let Joyce run the home mm-hmm. and me not particularly participate in that area. So at what point did you decide that that wasn't working? Uh, I would say it was after we became Christians, after we became believers. I've got, I got this strong sense that it was the male responsibility to run the house. Uh, but what I didn't use was balance. So I just took over the position without communicating to Joyce. Mm. I kind of left her out in the cold, and I was making decisions by myself for the family. But they weren't... It wasn't a good thing. Mm -hmm. And for me, I thought I needed to work on being able to follow because I'm a leader by my personality. And so I thought something was wrong with me. So I decided that I needed to learn to uh, follow Doug. And it was miserable because I, I, I didn't have a voice. And that's why in mentoring couples, we really work on having a voice, even if it's a voice that counters what somebody is trying to be more dominant in. Mm-hmm. And then you realized. Then the next question would be, well, what turned for us? Mm-hmm. When did it turn against what I was doing? And it was actually in a Sunday school class. <clears throat> One of our friends was was uh, going through a book uh, normal Christian life and chapter four or five was on you know the home leadership within the home and it was talking about where you both have input and you reach a decision together which was a foreign concept to me and uh, I remember going home after church Joyce and I went out to the garden to work and I got down on one of my knees and I asked her to forgive me for the way that I'd been treating her. I thought I thought he was, um, you know, saying something and he's kneeling down by the garden. And, of course, I didn't know if he was going to go get a weed or whatever. And then he says, please forgive me. And I just broke down because I realized that 
yeah, I was really struggling with his leadership. And so he was willing to say, as a woman, you have the right to speak and speak into any decisions that are made. And God uses the woman for that mm. and valued me. That was the beginning of a change. Yeah. But it wasn't, it the, whole, it wasn't the whole change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in your first, let's go to your first 10 years of marriage. Mm-hmm. What would you say you tended to fight about? What were the control, know, hot topics? Control of finances was uh-huh. big. Um, would you say, uh, yeah, still, decisions? Still that tendency to win. Yes. When I let her back in, there was still that tendency for her to want to win. Mm-hmm. We, mm-hmm. we hadn't resolved that issue yet. And also personality differences. You know, he's an introvert, and I'm an extrovert, and I get energized by being with people, and you get energized. By uh, being in my cave by myself. Mm-hmm. So we, we That's argue. a lot of conflict. That's <laughs> big. <laughs> yes, it was very big for us. Yes. Uh, you know, try going to a group function, and uh, Joyce wants me to be along beside her being the life of the party as she is. My preference is to go into a big room, survey, see the person that is not really talking to anyone, and go over and try to strike up conversation and get to know them as a person. And so we found out how different we were. I think that was the real game changer for me when I realized that God created Doug the way he wanted him to be created, and I was trying to change him to be like me. So to to um, to try to change him to be a party goer was not healthy. <laughs> he gets de-energized by people. So then, as you were having conflict and learning about each other, what tools have been most helpful for you in that? discovery of your spouse so what helped you what tool helped you learn your spouse better so that you could understand why you're maybe feel like you're two Mm -hmm. ships Mm -hmm. sailing in the night and missing Mm -hmm. each other I would say that uh, one of the tools was letting Joyce go to marriage seminars (laughs) <laughs> and uh, that sounds a little strange, but she would be bring back information that was so helpful to our relationship that it, uh, you know, another, yeah. another game was, changer. I was so hungry. I went to every marriage workshop, and I love learning from others, you know, got to know counselors because I was at that time heading up program with mops, mothers of preschoolers. So I was learning along with with these young mothers because we didn't learn some of the tools. And so whenever a speaker was there, man, I was taking notes and then I'd bring it home to dad to to see what we could do to make a change in our relationship. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did you ever feel like one of you was Um, I mean, so since, Joyce, you were doing a lot of these workshops and growing and learning, did you ever feel like Doug wasn't keeping up with you? Were there ever moments or were you always very, Doug, very receptive of what she was learning? Did you ever feel like you were playing catch up? I think, well, I think after I asked her to forgive me for my style of leadership, that kind of opened me up to something different. 
and it opened me up to be more receptive of the information that she was learning. Now, mind you, I wasn't necessarily going to the seminars myself to improve myself, but I was uh, receiving the information and enjoying the information that Joyce was learning, and that really helped me. Mm. So you were able to receive that. Yes. Yeah. And many times the couples that we deal with, many times you would see one resisting information or whatever so I know it's normal but you know in our case I think Doug was willing to try to um, understand where I was coming from and I think the conflict management workshops were things that I was drawn to because we had such a different fight style Mm -hmm. yeah but you were talking about game changers Mm mm-hmm and I think the one game changer for us was learning how to have a, a healthy fight. Mm-hmm. And we call it pen technique. The speaker-listener the technique. The speaker-listener technique. And we learned it basically through Dr. Dobson. And uh, we went to... We went to um, <laughs> Colorado Springs and actually picked up the book and looked, taught ourselves because we knew that we needed help. And we, by then, we were helping other couples, so it was healthy for us to, and I think we had like at least 20 or 30 big issues that we had never settled. It well, was, we would fight about it, and then one would walk away, or the other one would say, oh, well, you know, what's the, what's the big deal about this? Maybe we'll just be committed, whatever. We just kind of. Well, what we talk about is we, we run into a stone wall Yes. And then we take that, that subject and put it up on the shelf. Yes. And not deal with it again. Yeah. And the shelf was getting full of these <laughs> things that we had not dealt with because we didn't have the tools to deal with them. Mm-hmm. As soon as we learned about the speaker-listener technique, we could bring down those subjects one at a time and talk through them yeah. in very healthy ways yeah. and come to resolution about them. We were just shocked how it helped us. We were like, wow, we're actually getting to the lower level in our relationship. And so it it took us a couple of years, I would say. But uh, I think it's because when I go into the, um, to fight with Doug, I'm a verbal processor and you are. A a thought processor. But what what this uh, pen technique did was it leveled the playing field. Before that time, quite frankly, Joyce could always out-talk me. She could out-talk me. She could out-think me. Uh, she could out-strategize me. But with the speaker-listener technique, it, it put us both on the same field. She had to listen to me and what I was saying. I had to listen to her and what she was saying because we'd repeat them. So explain what the speaker-listener okay. technique is. It, it really came from the book Fighting for Your Marriage. The University of Denver had four counselors that did studies on healthy relationship and healthy fighting. They came up with this system, so I want to give credit to them uh, from the University of Denver. And what they saw is that when a couple gets into a fight, they uh, don't have rules, right? When you play a game in sports, you always have rules. Well, when you get into a fight, if you don't have some guidance for working through the conflict, the counselors found out that it just goes awry, always. There's nothing to guide them. 
So well, you they start came you start saying things that you really end up regretting. Yeah, which is really sad. Yeah. So which we've done really. Yeah, yeah. We had to take back some words that were said to each other, but um, it's like the Chernobyl. They use the example in the book Chernobyl. You know, when Chernobyl, what is it, exploded or whatever happened? To it exploded. That. The uh, the neutrons were supposed to go down inside the uh, the reactor, and and they failed to go down. They failed to cool it down. Therefore, it overheated and exploded. Mm-hmm. Right. The uh, uh, speaker listener technique are the rods that go down into the emotion of your discussion to neutralize them, to keep it in a healthy mode rather than combative combative mode. I see. So, for example, you want to give us an example? Sure. So, um, we we could never settle the whole idea of financial, um, what is it, control that I felt from Doug. And whenever I would bring it up, it would get get out of control because there was nothing to use to to bring it down. Quite frankly, I was very defensive. Yeah, very defensive. So, we never talked about it. This thing, you could say, okay, we're going to talk about how I'm feeling about your control over our finances. So it's defined, okay? I'm the one upset. I'm the one that starts it. So I have a neutral thing in my hand. It could be a a pen. It could be a straw. It could be anything. And I start speaking, and I say I have been so frustrated for the last few years that your control over me on finances has made me really upset, then he has to repeat it, almost to the word, what I what I just said. And you keep the pen and continue to make statements until you're through. Yeah. Then you give the pen to me, and it gives me a chance to either initiate new conversation or respond already to what she's had to say. And, and, you always, and this goes back and forth. Yeah. So the the person with the pen yes. is the only one that can talk. Yes. Is the initiator. Right. And initiator. the other one is the responder repeats what the initiator and says. And when I'm done, when I've gotten all my anger out and a lot of crying, because that was a hot issue for me, then I was able to give him the pen and he was able to say whatever he wanted to say. We also encourage couples to have a pad of paper because you're going to get questions and you're going to feel frustrated because that's not like dad felt defensive and he had some things to say about it and blah, blah, blah. I think the bottom line, what the pen technique, speaker listener technique is able to do, it's able to give you an opportunity to speak your heart. So by the time you're through speaking, your partner knows exactly what's in your heart and you know what's exactly in your partner's heart. And that's a completely different perspective than just knowing facts. Right. So also to be able to allow your partner to speak without interruption. Yes. Yes. Because I think a lot of times with couples, one is a verbal processor. Yes. Or you hit... Um, you hit a really like insecure mm-hmm. thing, mm-hmm. and so out of your defensiveness, mm-hmm. you might also to even get that person to stop talking. I yes. mean, it's possible yes. that a person is, you know, your spouse is hitting something that's just too mm-hmm. raw, mm-hmm. too hard, too difficult, and uh, so it's just hard to have conversations um, or to allow the other person to talk. But even as you're talking. Mm-hmm. 
you have to be very rooted in love for each other. Yes. I'm just saying, I, I don't know how many, which is probably why you mentor, mm-hmm. um, but how many couples have that deep trust and love knowing that their spouse is not going to run mm-hmm. when they start speaking. Mm-hmm. But just thinking, I mean, there's some very deep issues yeah. <laughs> that uh, we deal with in our marriage mm-hmm. and that our spouse can Many times, speak, many times it takes several sessions on the same topic. For example, infidelity in a relationship, when that occurs, it takes several because um, there are some deep-rooted issues that go down deep, and it's several layers. So maybe the person that did the offense did not know about in his or her life, and as we did the pen over and over and over again, uh, they were able to, because this system, you don't go to solutions first. You want to talk about that because you do a good job with that. Well, the point that we end up getting to is, say, I would say, Joyce, Joyce, do you have anything else that you will want to say on the subject? And she would say no, and she'd ask me the same thing, and I'd say, no, I think we pretty well talked out. Yeah. You know, I think we know each other's where we're coming from. We know each other's heart. At that point, then we go to brainstorming. What are the potential solutions to this particular issue? And we'll throw out good ideas and some of them not so good ideas. And then towards the end of that, then we'll start narrowing down the ones that we want to mm-hmm. apply to ourselves. Right. And uh, because we both agree and we both commit to it, it usually works out. Because they've never expressed their feelings because it's about feelings that usually people don't understand. Yeah, or you give space. And a lot of times to express feelings, there's a lot of feeling <laughs> involved. Yes. There's a lot yes. of emotions um, that are involved in these conversations. And to have space and time. I mean, even with kids, young kids running around. And mm-hmm. it's hard for couples to yeah. really take the time to do this. Mm-hmm. These are for the big issues. You know, these aren't for the little ones. These are the mm-hmm. ones that are game breakers and deal, you know, dissolvers that you want to you want to nail these ones and do it right. In your experience mentoring mm-hmm. couples, what would you say are the big, what typically do you see are the these big topics that, pe- that marriages? Mm-hmm. Communication. Communication is probably number one. Yeah, communication. Um, Communication. Family what, what does that mean? Communication, you know, she wants conversation, you know, where she's able to express her feelings with the mate and and he's not able. In fact, <laughs> we use this, it's called needs inventory. I mean, we have over 150 words we could use for our needs and our feelings, but we usually only use maybe five or 10. You know, we'll, we'll say something like, I'm I'm hurt. That's one everybody says. But under that hurt, there's many underneath that. So we we teach them how to use different words so they, they can communicate needs to each other. Because needs inventory is very helpful for couples. And particularly for guys. Guys have a very limited vocabulary, uh, vocabulary <laughs> when it comes to our needs yes. or comes to emotions. Yes. And so this one really opens it up where they can say, are you feeling this? Are you feeling that? And it really helps us begin identifying 
what's really inside. Mm -hmm. So typically, one Mm -hmm. spouse is wanting to be able to express more emotion. Is that typically, or would you Mm -hmm. say both both spouses are wanting? If they're both agreeing to come, yes. But if one is the one that's driving it, that person has a lot more emotions. But what they found at the University of Denver, because they would they would uh, hook up the blood pressure on the guy and the woman. And they, what they found out was the man was the one that had more. His his blood pressure went up when he didn't even show any emotion. Mm-hmm. You know, so. We can't gauge it according to that when we mentor couples. Yeah. We do a good job of hiding. Yes. But in hiding, we don't reveal who we really are. It's it's very uh, scary for a guy to fully reveal who he really is. So we're aware of that. And many times, uh, Doug would meet with the guys separately first, especially if it was a heated thing that they're dealing with. They're almost divorced, say, and we've dealt with that. He'll meet with them one-on-one because the guy is able to express himself better. So for listeners who may want a mentor, Mm -hmm. what do you recommend? How would someone find a mentor or, you know, counseling? I mean, at what point would you Mm -hmm. recommend someone to go see a marriage and family therapist? Are there signs or... uh, I see, I I tend to think... uh, cheap first and uh, there are some extremely good churches that have you know counselors inside them that are more than happy to do it for free Um, when you begin running into roadblocks with them then they will refer you on to a professional but maybe a place to start I think it's a great place to start the difference between a mentor and a counselor a counselor will deal with therapeutic things and we've had to recommend people, the, the couple that we just viewed recently, we recommended the husband to go to therapy. Mm-hmm. She was already in therapy. And then we can work with them. So then you come alongside mm-hmm. as a mentor. Yeah. I see. But it's amazing what mentors can do. Experience helps. Um, good listeners, you know. And there are a lot of programs now that are training people to be good mentors, like Marriage Team is an organization. Doctors Les and Leslie Parrott from Seattle, they are now, you know, in California and Oregon. So are there some books you recommend, YouTube mm, videos? Are there any resources that um, would maybe? I think the two big resources we share right when a couple comes to us is we love sharing the passages that a marriage goes through. Do you want to describe why passages are important? Well, passages in a marriage, there's some similarities to a child who's just been born. They go through passages. They, they lay on their back. All of a sudden, they can turn over, and all of a sudden, they can start crawling. Then they start, you know, standing. Then they start walking. And, you know, each one takes time, mm-hmm. uh, and they have to successfully accomplish the one before, before they can move on to the next one. Like developmental. Developmental. Yes. And marriages are very much that way. There are certain tasks that you need to form in the first two years of marriage, Mm -hmm. or those tasks will remain undone, potentially, for your whole marriage. So Minerth Meyer Clinic is also a research. You could go minerthmeyerclinic.com and get information. So we show them, this is your roadmap. 
And for the first two years, it's to try to take away the idealistic notion that you are perfect. So you may jockey for control is a task, sexual union is a task, making responsible choices is a task, dealing with your parents' incomplete passages. You know, for us, we had Doug's parents being divorced after 30 years of marriage and also alcoholism. So we had to learn about that. It was a task that we had to face. But you know, jockey for control for us didn't come until the later on. So the first two years you have that, and then the next seven years is dealing with the realistic, right? So most marriages lose right when the children come on the scene because children disrupt the relationship, right? And so childproofing your marriage is a task that's when date night is important. So when, whenever we are dealing with, with uh, passages of marriage, we tell them, these are your tasks. You need to spend time with your wife or your husband. You are in the seven-year itch. It might be happening. And then uh, you go on and you go 13 to 20 years, and that's the comfortable love. That's when you have write new contracts with each other and deal with your kids getting old kids getting older it's a task anything else you want to add i can't remember all the different passages <laughs> so you're saying in a marriage i yes. mean like so each say decade of marriage yes. kind of like a kid i yes. mean our kids from infant to 10 years old yes i mean look how much a, a child has developed yes and then you go from 10 to 20, mm -hmm. pretty significant. But mm -hmm. so if so in your experience, when people ignore mm -hmm. some of these tasks, yes, their marriage may be a little bit more immature mm -hmm. than if they would face. Yes. Some of these big. Yes. Hot topics versus shoving them under the rug. Mm -hmm. And I think. I think you had mentioned at some point that the year 25 mm -hmm. is a big deal for marriages. A lot of marriages yeah. mm -hmm. tend to fall apart. There's certain Yes. Uh could you explain that a little? Okay. Go ahead. Yeah, I think one of the problems about uh, 25 years is your children are beginning to leave the home or potentially have already left the home. And if you haven't built a relationship with your spouse, all of a sudden you're in the house with a stranger. We have done many yeah. mentoring. Our last one was that their kids just went out to college and the last one. So we've dealt with a lot more um, marriages where they've been married 20 to 25 years. And did you want me to describe what happens? Or? Yeah, just explain okay. what can happen when. Well, it's that they call the task of now or never. You know, they've been working at a job and maybe they've had to change a job and they, the person kind of feels like, whoa, my life, I, I may not have all the toys I wanted, or I may not have the wife I always wanted. And so they uh, begin to um, feel like their marriage isn't worth it hanging in there. You know, maybe I need a change. Maybe I need to, uh, we've had several that have had affairs during that time because they felt like the wife will never change. So it's that now or never. And then they're getting to retirement years thinking about, you know, have we saved enough? Maybe maybe I need to do more than that. And so it's just amazing that that stage of life. We, we enjoy meet, uh, meeting that because we really did well with that. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and back to the point of them not knowing each other yes. as adults yes. is, is a huge issue because they, 25 years ago, they were madly in love and now they hardly know each other. Mm-hmm. And they're not sure they're still in love with each other. Mm-hmm. And so that's a huge transition in well, a lot I think of what's also fascinating, too, mm-hmm. is in 25 years, you change a lot. Yes. Yeah. So the wife yes. grows, changes, matures, you know, new experiences, different things like that. I mean, 25 years, mm-hmm. you've developed as a person. Yes. And if you're not keeping up with your spouse to learn what mm-hmm. they're learning yes. or even developing yourself. So I do have a question. What has helped you develop yourself mm-hmm for the sake of your marriage. Because mm. I do think it's important to focus on yourself, yes. grow, you know, learn. Mm-hmm. I know for myself, the Enneagram has been mm-hmm. very helpful. Yes, yes. Learning Strength Finders, mm-hmm. Myers-Briggs. Yes. I mean, the more I've discovered mm-hmm. about myself, it's actually helped me um, be able to grow and develop and transform. Yes. Um, so are there anything tips healthy tips you could give us maybe ways that you've cared for yourself and in turn that has helped your marriage I think one of the going back to the 25 years or 20 right on that is maintaining individual identity in other words sometimes people will say well my husband you know is is thinking I should do this and yet you have your own identity because of the way God has wired you, you may want to do something different. And so it's that appreciating who dad is and dad appreciating me. But self-awareness, I use that a lot. We don't have, to be healthy, I need to be more self-aware of my strengths and my weaknesses. I think an important part in my life has been the need to change as a person. Um, Hmm. There was a tendency up, you know, when you're 21, you you think you know it all. And yet, as you learn more about marriage and what makes a strong marriage, you want to change to make that happen between you and your wife and continue to have that love that you experienced early, but then to see it mature into a deeper mm-hmm. love, into a deeper devotion, mm-hmm. that by the time your children leave, You're madly in love with each other, and you're looking forward to a future together. An area that we really have is the sexual union, because we didn't start really like really together in that, but we began to see how important Doug's, uh, my needs were in the sexual area, and Doug's needs. So, you know, it, it has developed, and it grows, and we keep that alive. I think the passion part of your marriage should always be there. So so we talk about orgasm. We talk about things that mean a lot to me. And Doug talks about the things that mean a lot to him. So we develop, and we like helping couples in the sexual area because that's the area that keeps your, your passion alive. If you don't have that, what fun is it? So we talk about... <laughs> yes, darling. I know. Don't look so stoic. But, you know, it's that peace that we we feel that is going to last a lifetime. So sexual intimacy is just as important in our 70s as it was in our 20s and our 30s and our 40s and our 50s and our 60s. 
but I love that piece. I think that um, knowing the needs, emotional needs that Doug has, sexual fulfillment is his number one need. Not all men, they've done studies and it's not all men, but for Doug, it is a very important part of his life. So I have to pay attention to that and he has to pay attention to that affection. My love language, do you know my love language? Gifts. So we use the five T's in love language and they are time, touch, task, doing acts of service for the other person, toys, which are basically gifts, and we like to say simple. I love receiving a flower from the garden. You know, it doesn't have to be any expensive gift. And then uh, talk, which is conversation. Yeah, so I've heard these before. So talk is words of affirmation, Mm -hmm. you know, um, as you know, some people might be hearing these for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, the task of the acts of service, I think, <laughs> is um, nice. I mean, I think sometimes you don't think of that as a love language, that someone's doing something for you. But that can be really meaningful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as we conclude our podcast, I'd like to hear what are three practices that help your marriage journey towards health? What are three regular things you either do together or separately to help you uh, have a healthy marriage? Mm -hmm. I would say for me, it's the things that that bind us together and it's daily time. We, you know, we're both, I'm retired, she's semi-retired and we take a pretty good size part of the morning just being together, talking to each other, I enjoy uh, touching her throughout the day, mm-hmm. giving a pat on the shoulder, you know, on the arm. And uh, it's very, um, very affirming of my love and my devotion to her as my wife. And for me, it would be thinking of Doug first because I'm a very selfish person and I can be thinking of only my needs but being purposeful with that, knowing that Doug has basic needs that I would like to, for example, um, just preparing the home for him to come home to. There's a a thing, and it's the book called The Five Needs by William Harley, The Five Needs of uh, of a Man and a Woman. And a man needs domestic support. When they come home, they want to see the house in order. They don't want to see, you know, having more problems. And so I work hard on that and admiring Doug, um, you know, just all the different ways that I can be and, and being attractive for him, whatever that is, you know, whatever he likes, being attractive for him. So paying attention to his needs is something that I really is a high priority for me. He, he comes first with that. And then for me, not to want to win all the time, uh, be a better listener. I've got a long ways to go on that one, I think. What do you think, Douglas? My lips are sealed. (laughs) (laughs) So learning to listen better, but I would say those two things help our marriage because those are the areas that can cause problems. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you for sharing uh, your struggles and just things in your life that have been 
maybe obstacles, I mean, things that have been hard about your marriage and just appreciate you coming and sharing about those things and also just tips and tools that can help the listeners. So thank you for being here today. Thanks for having us. Balanced by Beth is a podcast to inspire women to live strong. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personal medical advice. 